Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. This week's episode of Screen Talk is being brought to you by 20th Century Fox, presenting Ford vs. Ferrari, directed by James Mangold and starring Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Ford vs. Ferrari is now nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actor, Christian Bale, and five Critics' Choice nominations, including Best Picture of the Year. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. Happy New Year and welcome back to all. We have recently returned from our vacations and found ourselves trying to sort through the year ahead, but it's early yet and a lot of stuff happened at the end of the year that we have to get into. But first things first, let's talk about what we did when we went off the grid. And how was your vacation? My daughter and I went to Kauai. We both felt the need to uh, kick back and, and relax. And of course, what we did was explore the island, go hiking on muddy, treacherous trails, find the best beaches. <laughs> and by the end of it, and you know, find some good meals. We actually relaxed. It's a beautiful place. We had a lovely time. You didn't go to see any movies, anything like that? It's hilarious. We were watching in the room on the DVD player, Lulu Wong's Farewell, The Farewell, and it took us about three nights. (laughs) I had seen it before, but we we were like passing out every night. We were tired. So this is is a great illustration of the challenge with that sort of thing. It's like you have the screener and everybody's trying to fill in gaps over the break. I mean, you'd seen it already, but it's still, you know, I really wanted to see again. I wanted to sort of check out Aquafina's performance and, because she she could win a Golden Globe this weekend, you know. But you so. know, it's interesting because it's uh, the the idea of asking somebody to you know watch that movie on break in in a different kind of context than say going to a movie theater and committing but that's to the it. One she wanted to see. I mean, we had a stack of things we could have watched, and that was right. the one we both agreed that we wanted to watch the most. So, and so it, it does good. it work as well on the small screen in that context? The even though you broke it up, that's yeah. a good that's a good small screen movie. Um, uh, when when we got back, she had um, a pass that was going to expire on on the thirty first, and and she went off to uh, she had a what should I see? You know, she had a list, and we all agreed nineteen seventeen. That's the one to see in theaters. And I was very right. gratified at how much she liked it. She loved 1917. It's a, that movie's holding up very well in my own estimation. Yeah, I think the thing about 1917 is that you get what you paid for, whether that's paying for a ticket or just investing the time and watching it. I mean, you know what you're signing up for. It's a certain kind of war movie experience with technical, superb technical craftsmanship. So whatever the screenplay may be weak or whatever. There's certain things that are contrived about it, but it it works in terms of what think, it's trying to do. I don't think the screenplay is weak because you can't really extricate it from the structure of the whole thing and the concept of how that whole thing was shot. And everything is connected to everything else. You can't really separate one thing. 
Um, and I would also say that what's great about 1917 and what's great about some of the movies that have endured through this whole awards season, that's a late entry, but the ones that really rise to the top and the ones that are actually doing well at the box office too um, are the ones that are, are on some level uh, unique, that, that, that break the mold. No one's ever seen 1917 before. They've seen war movies before, but not like this. Well, I find that to be fascinating, too, because I was traveling around Europe. I was in Spain, and I saw posters for Little Women, Mujercitas, as they call it, it. everywhere. Mujercitas. But, uh, I mean, whether or not that movie's breaking the mold, it did bring a fresh, polished, old material. I would argue that it is breaking the mold. And um, you and I came into this conversation today um, with some things we wanted to talk about from the holidays. And Little Women is the thing I wanted to bring up because it was the movie that was the most debated, not only uh, at dinner parties and so on, but at, at, uh, at Nora and I got into this long, protracted, deeply uh, passionate <laughs> debate about the ending of the movie. And this, I have to say, this is a spoiler alert, everybody. Um, I hope you've seen Little Women by now. Um, Everybody's dead the whole time. <laughs> but but the whole meta ending, uh, the idea of, of, of having these two timelines and having um, some, some biographical material from Louisa May Alcott's life, you know, calling out the difference between what happened to the author and what happens to Joe March in the movie, the idea that, that the publisher tells her to put on a happy ending and then she shows you a happy ending in the movie. We got into the most extraordinary discussion about this, and we're not alone. There's some great threads on Twitter, and I just have to hand it to uh, Greta Gerwig. She managed to make something that made people wake up and take notice and and debate after it had been made into a movie eight times. Well, that's part of the thing is that it it is playing off of this assumption that a fair number of audiences will have that relationship. I mean, I assume both you and your daughter encountered Little Women probably at young ages, right? I mean, you probably read it in school or something. Like like many women, we grew up with it. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard many conversations with people where it's like, well, one person says, I always felt Beth was this kind of person and the movie doesn't quite get that or Joe is supposed to be like That's this or that. That's about and, it, right. Yeah. But also they, what came up at a dinner party was that many people who did not grow up with it, including many men, are totally lost. <laughs> when they, see the movie. they have no idea what's going on who the characters are. They have no relationship with them, where, where the timeline is going. People completely befuddled by the timeline. And, uh, and I was surprised by that because that was not my issue. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't have a deep relationship to it at a young age. I wasn't confused by it, but I also, on some, on some level, I think uh, I rise to the occasion when a movie challenges me to sort through what it's trying to do. It's not a, it's not as much of a passive viewing experience as people might expect. But I, I don't know. I mean, my my parents really loved it. And I think they just saw a really beautiful family drama, you know, with good performances and all that stuff. So on some level, even, even if it's not always linear in terms of how it provides that kind of pleasure, it is still it is still that kind of a movie. It is still in that category. And in that uh, you know? sense, I predicted at the beginning, even if I had some, some small... Uh, caveats about the way it was it was executed um 
I got mostly having to do with casting. I, I, I'm not a timid. I, I love Timothy Chalamet. I adore him, but I didn't think he was, he was the right casting for, for the movie. But, but in, in the end, this was a hugely commercial movie, which I thought it would be. I, and, and it, it act, it's the most successful breakout of the Christmas season. I mean, you can, you can take Star Wars and, and, and give it its its due and, and Knives Out is a big commercial hit also. But among the um, Oscar contenders, uh, Little Women did well in 1917, did well in, in limited release. And uh, the big hit, the big breakout, another movie you've never seen before, another movie that everyone's debating, more discussed than any other, Uncut Gems. That is so cool. I mean, I was really unplugged for a good portion of the time, but to get back on the grid and see these headlines about, you know, $10 million for this movie that, you know, when it premiered at Telluride, I was like, wow, I had a great time with this. I, I have no idea if people are going to storm out when it opens some in wide them release. Do. But and some of the, again, some of the old, there is a movie that's Academy fun to debate. Voter types yeah. are not going there, but the craftspeople, love this movie the directors and the and the editors those are the two categories that you could see a surprise whiplash kind of breakout surprise for uncut right. gems well it's not it's a chaotic movie but it's a chaotic movie by design and i think oh, no, that's people what's appreciate crucial the about filmmaking it. absolutely they they do they re- they respect what the safties are doing although one interesting um criticism i heard because this is the season where you go around and you hear everybody talking about all these things at the parties. Um, they, people do question how much of a subtext there is to this movie. You know, it's, what's it about, really? You know, it, it, well, it, the I mean, filmmaking is what it's about. I, I, I don't know if that's accurate. I mean, to me, it's, it's very much about this self-destructive cycle and the allure of certain kinds of superficial pleasures that no matter how much you can sort of derive success from them in individual moments, eventually indulging in a lifestyle that is all about yourself is going to cave in on you. Absolutely. And there is is some redemption to be found in the character's love for the young woman. Well, I mean, to some extent, yes, but he's still a pretty bad guy. Yes. And I, th- I think what's bold about the movie is that willingness to put you in the world of somebody who can be so contemptible and almost make it infectious. Like, you do kind of want him to succeed. You do, you do root for him. It's hilarious. That's Adam Sandler, though. Um, right. So the big question uh, is whether he breaks into, into Best Actor, and I just can't imagine that he will. Um, but, um, we shall see. Well, but that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting conversation the there. are out as of Thursday, January 2nd. They have arrived today, the day we're recording. And the, basically the Academy members have until Monday, uh, Tuesday, rather the 7th to, to get through this. So that the 7th is two days after the Golden Globes, which are unbelievably early this Sunday, and <laughs> and the same day that the PGA uh, announces its its nominees, which right? Is crazy. So it's 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 everything's happening all at once. It's like the singularity in Oscar season terms. But uh, the the actor race has been fascinating to watch because of the obvious locks and then the question marks. That's actually, I mean, you 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 were thinking about the whole Little Women thing. I was thinking over break about the Antonio Banderas thing before I went off the grid, I was talking about how I was going to see him in this production. How was of a chorus it? Chorus line. Yeah, it was amazing. So 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 Banderas did a chorus line 
in Spain at this new theater that he opened with his own theater company in Malaga, which is on the Mediterranean coast. And it's where he was born. So that city is sort of like this project for him to figure out how to bring more arts and culture to the region outside of the the kind of the tourist side of things, which is mostly driven by the beaches and all that kind of stuff. And this is the first production. So he is in the pro in the production playing the uh you know the theater director who michael douglas plays in in the the movie and uh and he was great i mean they they did an amazing job in terms of capturing the essence of a chorus line in spanish with a young cast of, of newcomers and it's very well done and he he's very strong as a presence on stage obviously he's not traveling when the film when the when the show goes on the road but has sort of committed to being a part of this for this short period of time and of all times for him to be doing this, it's one of the times when he's also being asked to campaign for pain and glory. So when I first came to check out this theater, it's called the Soho theater in Malaga. There was a sign on the window letting people know that if you buy tickets for the first week of 2020, you're not going to see Antonio Banderas in the chorus line. You're going to see his understudy because he'll be at the Palm Springs film festival in the near film critic circle dinner uh, making the round. So he had to get out of there for that period of time and is, and is doing what he can to compete with that. But I spoke to him a bit about it afterwards. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's hard for him because of this crucial time. He's got this passion project going on, but it feels like there's just enough there where he has to make that extra effort. And yet at the same he, time, I don't know, he didn't get a SAG nomination. So that's not a good sign. Um, and, uh, well, I don't I think don't that's going to be, um, he did get one from the Globes and I don't think that that's going to be, um, I think he'll get nominated. I think that's his win in a way for, he's for never the Oscars. Been, and people forget and he's people never been nominated. love Pain and Glory. They love it, you know. So he's, he's long overdue, but this is also a narrative that the Academy actors will definitely respond to. And it's it's just insane. I mean, I was watching him on stage. It's you know, the best six, thing he's ever done. And I, but I was watching I was watching him on stage, you know, the 60-year-old actor committing to a very physically intense kind of role. I mean, the 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 character he plays in 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 Coruscant doesn't have to dance, but he dances in this thing and was completely winded. We saw him the second time in the evening he had done this show. And it was like this is a guy who pushes himself to a certain level. And yet when you go through his filmography, you know, outside of the stuff he's done with Almodovar, it is, you do get this sense that maybe he's just starting to hit his stride. I agree I mean, with that. And, I think what so, happened after he had this heart attack was that he reassessed and he, he was able when he was doing the, playing the role um, of Salvador Malo for, for Almodovar. He, he actually had to, to tap into some new stuff that he hadn't really dealt with before. And, and it and was you good want, for him. Yeah. It's like, you want to see it. And some, sometimes that, that is what happens with that. Great actors start to hit their stride at a later period in life. I mean, not that he wasn't a good actor before, but more People of should this, give please. him credit though, because what he, it, it's very, very rare for Spanish speaking uh, movie actor to become a star the way Almodovar, I mean, listen to me, the way Banderas did. And, and, and he should get credit for that. But at the same time, he's able going back to work with his mentor to tap into a different kind of acting 
and, so, and that's what's so exciting. And I'm glad yes, you got so, to see that. That's wonderful. Oh yeah, it was it was great, and and it may even make its way to New York at some point. Cool. They were planning this whole thing on New Year's Eve, where Oscar Eustace, who runs the the public theater in New York, was going to come out, and they were going to do all these Broadway shows, songs for him, just to show that you know this was a legit theater company worth his time. So I think <laughs> it's kind of crazy to be working this angle while also having to go out there and shake the hands of Academy voters. But that's the you know you have to pay to play. And when I look at this best actor category, we know that Joaquin and Driver, and I guess Leo or Locks, is De Niro a lock? Yeah. I mean, he's a weak link. So he that's wasn't where nominated we get into by the... the Globes, and he also wasn't nominated by by SAG. So, so that's a big a big miss. I mean, Christian Bale made it in both of those. So I would say to you that Ford v. Ferrari is a stronger candidate than many people seem to think. Um, well, it made a lot of money along with Joker, you know. So Joker for sure. So and so then we get into this question of you, you say maybe not Am Sandler, but what about Eddie Murphy? What about well, Eddie Banderas? Murphy could win at the Globes on Sunday, and um, but I do think it will be uh, on the uh, he's he's on the comedy side. Remember, so you've you've got that opportunity uh, with with a you know there's two different groups of actors vying instead of just five. Um, so that, that and, and once upon a time of Hollywood will do well. Um, I don't think I think that means that Murphy's beating DiCaprio in the comedy musical category. That's a hell of a showdown. That isn't happens. It? I mean, well, I, I actually I mean, think I actually think that um, that it could be DiCaprio. It's between the two of them, obviously. Um, I was watching Murphy host SNL, and I have to tell you, I thought he crushed it overall. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, it made me wish that SNL found a way to just bring back all these great performers they used to have on as guest hosts because something he brought something to the show that I hadn't felt. For, I mean, not like I watch it every week, but I mean, he was he was just really well timed out. He hit his you jokes. Have to do and, it. It's in the blood. It's like riding riding a bicycle. He was always exactly. one of the greats. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, what else? What else is going on, Eric? In terms of of looking forward to the new year. Well, I mean, it's an interesting moment because we're caught between uh, this incredibly short award season and Sundance ramping up, and and all the plans we have to make in terms of all that. And then you and I are going to go to Berlin, and then comes Cannes and South by Southwest, and all the. So and it's, I get it's, to go to CinemaCon in there. I think right. you go to South by, and I go to exactly. CinemaCon. Exactly. So 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 it's like the first couple months of the year are going to be interesting to plan out in terms of figuring out. Uh, what the newer films are going to look like and what the market's going to be like for them, because we really don't know who's going to make a big splash, who the big spenders are going to be at Sundance and what Netflix is going to do to compete with all the stuff that, you know, we've, we've seen start to launch I'm and the stuff that's going to, to launch. Exactly. Now, and Netflix has been in production on a lot of stuff. So they have been able to not buy when they don't see something they want. Amazon, doesn't have anything um and they're going in they're going into uh they're going into sundance still looking for product and yet of course the sundance cautionary tale from last year was was amazon but arguably uh according to my sources um aeronauts the report late night uh they all did really well on the service they all right. did, and Netflix sent out, you know, these these stats. They didn't give numbers, but they said these are the movies that played the best on our service 
last year, and it, it was the big movies. You know? Well, supposedly, Aeronaut, the reason why Aeronauts only got that two-week theatrical run, which everyone was saying was weird for such a big screen movie, was because there was some sort of research that showed that it could do really well on their service. Absolutely so, right. And, and there's and no that's surprise. What they did. You know, so they're, they're, very ha- they're very happy with how these, and uh, also Brittany runs a marathon. So, you know, we don't know what their metrics are. Theatrically, disappointing, but they say it did very well on the site. And they'll have to keep growing subscribers and, and creating, you know, whether it's on the series side or, or, or anywhere or but on the But they also have side. different metrics than Netflix. In other words, metric, uh, Netflix lives or dies on, on subscribers and people watching movies on and television on the site. Uh, Amazon is, is a shopping site. You know, it's just about bringing in eyeballs to, to do more shopping. That's all they and care I- about. And then you have and something they're huge. Like, they're so right. rich. Well, they Amazon. have a different exactly. I mean, like you walk into a Whole Foods and shop, and you're paying, you're putting more money into their pockets than they probably get for some of the movies they're putting in theaters. Exactly. But uh, but I also think that the Disney Plus side of it's going to be interesting because so far you haven't seen Disney Plus acquire you know out of festivals or anything like that, which isn't to say there isn't a team that could theoretically do that. That's a good that, question. I have talked to filmmakers who have had conversations with them who are very curious about the opportunity to direct something for a Disney plus uh, feature. I mean, what gonna, that means. That's interesting. But I mean, at a place like Sundance, it's still going to be Fox searchlight. That's in the hunt. Exactly. At this they point. Have that. Because first of all, the stuff that they're putting on Disney plus is family oriented, mainstream stuff and stuff that plays at Sundance, maybe a doc or two, but really, that's not what they're looking for. It's um, pretty narrow. Yeah, maybe Hulu, then, Hulu would right. be the, the outlet that would be looking for stuff at Sundance. And then you have HBO Max, which hasn't even launched yet and supposedly has a team going to Sundance for the first time that will be looking probably to make they a big splash with product. Yeah. and probably docs. I mean, yeah. probably the, you'll see a big number sign attached to some kind of doc that's a real hot button issue and they'll be at least in the, in the running for it, if not successful. I mean, it's always an open question with this stuff. I mean, you know, if Netflix wants to show its track record and, and outspend people, that may also come up or it may not. It's really an open question. And then, you know, with Apple, which has the deepest well, pockets they've been of buying all. Things. They bought the Elephant Queen, which right. ended up not getting ago. much traffic. Um, that was a while ago. Traction. Yeah. And that was before our, our friend Molly Thompson started there. So yeah. who knows how that changes things. I have to tell you, I mean, as much as Apple TV Plus didn't get the best press around its launch and in our little world, the whole situation with the banker was, was obviously not great PR. But I, I've watched some of the shows now, specifically, I've watched some of The Servant and Dickinson, and they're very strong. And I think the potential with Apple TV Plus is one that is very much there in terms of finding a kind of happy medium between Netflix and Disney Plus. They can have stuff that's sort of edgy and more adult-oriented, but also appeal to families. I don't and think all- they're going for edgy and adult-oriented. Well, but if you watch There's the a pretty servant, wide demo that they're looking the, the, for. There's room for stuff that would not go on Disney Plus. It makes a difference, though, to be able to say, yeah, we can have something that, that you know, that the hipper, younger audience wants to watch, the young adult audience wants well, to watch. Well, they're in a there, different business there. also. And they also, by the way, it's much more about making the Apple TV platform something that everybody's going to that has content from lots of different suppliers. So this is just a lure. And there are only a few programs. They, they just don't have the volume that even comes close 
to what uh, even Amazon or especially Netflix have. Disney Plus was smart to get the volume that they did. Um, well, yeah, the and Mandalorian is, is such a huge hit that they are really pulling in subscribers. That's the that's the big win that they that Disney Plus had to offer. Now, did you finish watching the first season of Mandalorian? No. So I, I caught up with up. it. I won't. I won't spoil anything. I have to say, <laughs> but I, I will say this. I mean, I get why the show is is popular. I I want more from it, and I feel like when you look at the box office, you know, Star Wars did great, but it was all it was. It, it was, was down it was from the last. Jedi, yeah, though. it was down from the last one, and this one, it just feels like when you think about the the potential to to take things up to another level in terms of world building and the stories you can tell it feels like that whole process has not yet fully settled I haven't and you finished feel it. it as as you point out but i will say that i think that what they did the reason i think the reason it is so successful one baby yoda but two um Favreau and his team were able to keep it simple and and make it elemental and mythic. And somehow they pulled that off. And that's very hard to do. Even if we want more, and I agree with you, it's very simple and straight on. Even there, even so, it's well done. I, yeah, I, I think them. it's 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 simple, and and yet I, I mean, look, the, I like that it plays off of these samurai right. tropes. You know, the whole lone wolf and cub right. thing is like very obvious. But it, but it's just like when I'm watching, I'm like, you can, you could do something a little more surprising here. Just something. I mean, the whole Baby Yoda thing is fascinating because it has a much bigger life outside of the show itself that's what the screen time the, yes exactly yeah. uh, that's what makes it work um and the i do i do think the man in the mask thing is is a, is a bit of a limitation as well well watch that finale not that it'll change <laughs> things but <laughs> it's an interesting moment in that okay. respect so did you watch anything else over the holidays aside from farewell you know what i did i had gone to see this is so embarrassing i i had gone to see a most extraordinary thing at National Theatre Live, which was the one-woman show, uh, Fleabag, uh, the Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh-huh. And so after it's, it's, a, it's really amazing to see the show that spawned the TV series, one and two. So I was catching up after that on, on Fleabag. I had to do some catching up. So that was a yeah. fun thing. Uh, it's funny uh, to see Fleabag. Fleabag is, has such power you know it's like everybody just adores this thing and yet she has no interest in continuing with it you know no, no, no. Like, she's mined it that's what's clear to me this was years ago that she did this. yeah exactly so, so like she, she's ready to move on i'm exciting to see her i'm excited to see her james bond that's well, one of, of course. the things coming up um and whatever else she has up her exactly. sleeve. this is a talented woman and not not in any hurry or anything, but but yeah, I mean the flea bag adoration is is a fascinating thing because it's so there's not, it's not a lot of it. It doesn't take long to to you know cat you know binge that entire show. But I would love to see the 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 play at some point if she's willing to to bring it back to New York before uh, completely. Well, check out National behind. Theater Live. They're they're they it's so popular that they keep putting it on over and over again. And maybe again. I should do that. Yeah, I'll, it's really I'll, fun. I'll it's really it. remarkable because basically what she does is she does a one woman show sitting there on a chair in one outfit and brings the whole thing to life. All the things that they ended up casting people to play the the man with the little mouth and. 
She plays a hot priest. She plays no. That's season two. That's <laughs> oh right, it's only the first. Every so this is just the first. She series. plays her dad, and that she kind plays of stuff, everything, yeah. and and yeah. every every single her sister, you know, everything, and and it's vivid and absolutely uh, extraordinary. Um, it's worth seeing. So what I saw over the holidays was a rainy day in New York because unlike America and Europe, that this movie is basically playing. Everywhere, Woody Allen, whatever his complicated Everywhere reputation outside is, of North is America, you know? yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it's it's yeah, exactly. But it's, so a lot of people have seen it on planes or have happened to be in Paris or whatever. I was in Madrid. I looked it up. I went to go see it on Christmas Day. Um, I had a bit of an unusual experience with it because it was dubbed in Spanish, which uh, I have to say, the guy who did Timothy Chalamet's voice did a fine job. It, <laughs> it kind of sounded like him. Uh, I did see it with my wife and had to sort of simultaneously translate a lot of stuff because it's a Woody Allen movie and people talk a lot, but I think we got the gist. Um, How is it? it? Well, so first of all, it looks great. Vittorio Storaro shot it. It's one of those very polished, very sort of old school Woody Allen New York comedies, which is to say it's better than the scoop type of stuff. It's closer to like a midnight in Paris mold, but not as ambitious but it's still you you feel the the sophistication of Woody Allen as a storyteller in terms of he has one concept and he figures out how to write an entire movie around that concept right. in this case it's a story that takes place in one day and um it's almost it feels like a period piece because it's a kind of new york that doesn't exist a high society kind of a thing with people talking in in ways about you know a kind of lifestyle in new york that doesn't really exist but every now and then you spot an iphone and you realize that it's it's a total fantasy but you already realize it's a total fantasy because Timothy Chalamet's character, who's named Gatsby Wells, uh, is completely ridiculous. Uh, he comes from wealth, but he goes to this Ivy League school and he's trying to uh, impress his girlfriend, Elle Fanning, by being this highbrow intellectual and he can't really get his act together. The movie makes this weird case that he's better off not being an Ivy League intellectual, but just embracing his luxury and living entirely content with this privileged existence and not engaging with the outside world through this Selena Gomez character who's completely underwritten. So from a, like a sort of politically, culturally, this movie has a pretty messed up message, but it's pretty fun to watch Chalamet roam around New York and play this kind of archetype. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, so I just the, the trope of Chalamet, I mean, he's like the last, young rising star who gets to do that thing where he makes a Woody Allen movie. You know, it's like, it's not so easy anymore. He returned his salary for this thing a long time ago. But I have to say, I mean, so the movie is, it definitely has some weird kind of Woody Allen lives in an insular world implications, but it's not an atrocity. I think it would have gotten mixed reviews in this country and probably done okay. It's like kind of a little more, familiar than say even like a wonder wheel type of Woody Allen movie. It's, it's, it's a comedy that I think is, is relatively entertaining and engaging in small doses. And um, the audience I saw with was laughing a fair amount, but I'll be curious to see what the future is like for a Woody Allen movie, because he's well, already shooting no another. He, well, he's there become, is. He's become Roman Polanski. 
No, but the, basically, but here's the thing. basically, to, his movies are going to be shown around the world, but yeah. not in North America. And well, he's going to be thing. funded by European backers, and he's going to continue to have a career. And right. we're not going to be able to so, see his films. So, well, so you say there is no future, and in, in point of fact, there there is a future, and you just outlined it. I mean, both of these people are in their it's not 80s. the future he would have in mind, and neither maybe, and maybe Roman not, Polanski is is. There were and, posters and all over town. For they're Polanski's similar because film. because the Polanski film you know is is doing well over there and and uh what is it the officer and a spy you know it, it's it's really it's really interesting to me yeah they, i mean i they don't both think... feel unfairly maligned of course they Get, bring up either of them and there's a long you know long debate is. going yeah. on about what whether they deserve their fate in exile in effect but ultimately, I think the other thing is with the Woody Allen movie, I mean, to say there is no future, Europe has always been kinder to him in certain kinds of ways anyway. I mean, he is kind of, he's goofy Woody Allen to most Americans, meaning not like the highbrow critics who've praised him for a long time, but in, in France, he's been seen as an auteur, right? So it is in some ways the natural kind of endpoint for whatever the this final phase of his career might look like, which isn't to say that he'll even keep making great movies. We don't know what the one he's shooting in Spain right now is going to look like, but that makes a lot of sense. With Polanski, it's an interesting question because I feel like every year Europe starts to lose patience with him to some extent. You know, it's like he gets disinvited to places or like maybe somebody tries to arrest him again or something like that. So Polanski is a real open question as you could see from, you know, he's what still making the, movies. Nobody's preventing him. Well, he's, he is. He still but, gets shown in Cannes or whatever. But you look you at know. what happened in Paris with, with an officer and a spy when it opened, and there were protests and stuff, and you know, it didn't affect the box office yet. But that isn't to say that that kind of thing won't intensify. With well, time, you're, so. yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. They they both feel unfairly uh, cast aside. Um, but nobody likes to be exiled, but sometimes you deserve it, I guess. So it's all relative in, th- in this particular case. Um, that's a whole other issue. And, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it comes up again with the, with the next efforts from both of these guys. Right. In any case, so, so next week, I guess we'll have the Golden Globes yeah, to talk we'll about. we'll go over the Globes. We'll see, we'll see how all that shakes down. But it's good to reconnect with you here in the new year, Anne, and I look forward to the months ahead. Have a good weekend. Happy New Year, Eric.